Welcome back for another Zen Trap chat. I'm one of your two hosts, Zen P. Uh, Yogi LG couldn't make it today. She sends her regards. Um, just as a reminder, here at the Zen Trap podcast, our purpose is to guide and inspire listeners to be accountable for their overall health while sharing our perspective and journey to do the same through continuously seeking internal peace to maximize our potential in service to others. Uh, without further ado, we have a very special guest on the podcast today. Coming from across the pond, Mr. Tony Warner. Uh, me and my, myself and Yogi LG first met Tony on one of the Black History Walks on one of our first stops on Zentrap Travels in London. Um, I can say that I've probably been on five or six Black History Walks across various parts of the world. Uh, the one I did in London with Tony was hands down the best. Uh, he was very interactive. Um, he garnered feedback from the crowd and not only just was talking to us about the walk, but gave us examples, asked us questions to kind of see what we knew, let us engage with each other as well. Um, while doing the walk, he was using a book that I thought he was just kind of reading from at first. Halfway through the walk, he showed us that he is in fact the author of this book titled Black History Walks Volume 1. I looked it up on Amazon. It can be pre-ordered as well. I highly recommend it. Um, just to go through some of his accolades, again, he's one of the founders of Black History Walks in 2007, where they do guided walks, uh, bus tours, and other things like that to explore the Afro-Caribbean history in London. He's also the co-founder and chair of the African Odysseys program, which screens African dysphoria films. Oh, diaspora, I'm sorry. Diaspora films and Q&As on a monthly basis at the British Film Institute. Uh, again, without further ado, I just want to get right into it. Uh, we have Mr. Tony Warner. Thank you for being here. Um, thanks for having me on your podcast. It's good to be here, man. No problem. Uh, what we like to do as an intro as well, uh, we like to give our guests a chance to kind of tell their life story in two minutes. Uh, there is no clock, so don't feel pressure on that. But you can go from birth to now. You can mention what you want to mention. It just gives us a chance to kind of know some random things that you like to share about yourself. All right. Well, I started the walks about 2007. That's not when I began life, but that's when I started doing the walks, right? So, um, I understand. And I did that because I'd done a, a whole bunch of the typical London tourist walks that you do, like, you know, the Charles Dickens walk, Jack the Ripper walk, Beatles, all the kind of stuff that you normally do as a tourist. And there was never no mention of black people at all. I thought, this can't be right. This is ridiculous. So after a period of complaint, I thought, you know what, let me just do my own thing. So I set up 2007 with, like, one walk. And now we have 15 walks of Black History Bus Tour, Black History River Cruise. We have films of the BFI once a month for the last 15 years as well. And we have two books, including a school book, as well as a brand new kind of a guided walk into a book called Black History Walks Money One. And we also put a plaque to famous black people as well. Okay, great. Wow. That Like like I said, uh, when we did the walk, it was hands down the best one I did. Um, speaking of the walk, when we were on it, I thought you did a really good job of giving us like modern day things that you can see in everyday life that translates to black history. Could you give us uh, like one or two examples of that? I know on our walk, you talked about asphalt, but I don't know if you have some. Oh, that was the, um, you did the Secrets of Soho walk then between Russell Square and Tottenham Road. So yes. yeah, I mean, we talk about how even the road surfaces you can find in England or actually in Britain as a whole, um, a lot of that asphalt was sourced from the Caribbean because an island there called Trinidad, it has a, a it's the only kind of pitch lake, asphalt lake in the world whereby 
the asphalt of the pit just comes at the ground naturally. It's a naturally self-replenishing entire lake of asphalt. And when it's a British colony, of course, the British use that asphalt to pave their streets over here. So literally, you got the physical connection with regard to the Caribbean asphalt is now or is in use in Britain to this very day. But also the money, because bearing in mind it was a, a British colony, the British were not paying a fair price for that asphalt. And asphalt is like a, a very crucial raw material to any kind of industrial society because you find asphalt being used right now in Brazil, in China, America, and the UK, of course. So if you're getting asphalt cheap or free for like 100 years or so, you're going to make a whole bunch of profit. And that profit ends up in the UK, but not in the Caribbean where it originates from. And that's the case when it comes to gold, diamonds, platinum, uranium. It's, it's the same sort of thing for different resources. I mean, sugar and tea is another example, but that's the sort of stuff we, we bring up on our walks. Agreed. That that was, I think, one of my favorite things of how you use modern day and brought it to physical and again, showing the, the landmarks as well. I know when we were on the walk as well, it was a small group. Uh, we had probably about four people who were actually from the UK doing the walk as well. So I was surprised to hear that. And when you were asking us questions, myself and Yogi LG felt like some of the UK people that were from there felt like African history wasn't being taught in the school system at all, really. Like, I know in America, we get we we hear about, and you mentioned that as well, that we hear about Martin Luther King and we hear about uh, Rosa Parks and things of that nature. And you were even mentioning people that we hadn't heard of that were doing civil rights movement things before Martin Luther King and some other people, but they just didn't get recognized like that. So yeah. uh, that leads me to like kind of ask, like, why do you, why do, in your opinion, do you feel like African history is not known or studied kind of like globally like that? Why do you feel like, because uh, I feel like, most of the time the system is built to keep it from us. Uh, well, I would say that 100% correct because it, we're in the heart of the British Empire. So this is where London is ahead of the British Empire, was ahead of the British Empire. And there's a legacy of the empire when it comes to education because when the British established schools in Kenya or Zimbabwe or Jamaica or any part of the empire, their idea was to teach those people, the local people, their British history and to make them love, idolize and admire Britain. So if that's the situation when they were in Jamaica or in Africa or in the Caribbean, then you can imagine that when it's in the, their own country, so to speak, they're going to have the same attitude to say, well, look, we're going to talk about our history. And if we do mention any kind of black history, it's going to be to say that, well, um, we went to civilize those natives in Africa. We went to help those people in the Caribbean. And that our mission there was one of upliftment and civilization. Well, of course, it's not true at all. They were there to kind of extract resources and bring the resources back to the mother country, in this case, London or England, as, as the case may be. So the, the way history is taught here, if you go to primary school or secondary school, you are taught here about Luther King in America, about Rosa Parks in America, about Jim Crow in America, and about the bus boycott in America in 1955, right? right. You are taught that as a matter of course on a curriculum, but you are not taught about the racism in this country, the color bar in housing, education, employment, healthcare in this country, the fact that a guy called Dr. Harold Moody set up a civil rights group in London in 1931, which successfully brought the color bar in the military and fought for, against the color bar in um, uh, healthcare. That is not taught in schools here, even though, of course, I should mention that Harold Moody was a doctor and a preacher. So you have a guy who's a doctor, preacher, civil rights leader in London in the 1931. He's not on the curriculum, but a man who was a doctor, preacher, civil rights leader in America in 1955, he is taught on our curriculum. So work it out, if you will, that you, you we, in England, we learn about American history. We don't learn about our own history, even though it has so many similarities. Yeah, that that was mind blowing to me. And even to take it a step further, what you did on the tour, when we stopped by the school that actually taught African studies, they're supposed to be, 
use literally teach African studies. You mentioned that uh, point about how the teachers weren't even a privy to like the real history and things like that. So they're even passing down knowledge that's not even relevant or doing it in a way that I feel like probably the students could even relate to or learn it correctly. Um, yeah, and the students complain about that too. So that, that was um, the school of Oriental and African studies called SOAS for short. And there's been, there's been a whole bunch of protests in regards to the curriculum and the, and the staff members. I should have told you as well, though, that that particular institution, that was the place to send the colonizers to learn how to colonize. So it was it, it, it was called that because if you were a part of the empire as a white guy from England, you'd go to that place to, to be taught about how to run the empire, how to kind of understand the natives, what you would need to know to manage them better. And then you'd be sent out to administ administrate the empire. So basically, it was a colonial institution. And that legacy still when it comes to how, the, how, how, the talk, how it's taught in that, again, the curriculum was very much, um, we went to Africa to help them and we helped them, we built their roads and railways, etc. Not mention that the railways are built to extract the raw materials, be it copper or coltan or diamonds or gold. That's not mentioned. It's just that oh, we built uh, railways and roads. Not that they built railways was to exploit the natural resources. To exactly. Bringing. Trying to, I guess, sugarcoat it, if you will. Uh, we mentioned that as well. We're here. They're trying to even change like slavery terms around to like involuntary transfer. Or something like they're, yeah. they're just yeah. trying to change the the lingo around on it, so you can almost wash it away in general. Um, what do you feel like some educators can do to get, uh, I guess, students more excited around history? Because I know for us. I found the older I get, the more interested I am in history. But like when I was young, history was just not really something that I, that I was into. And it could be from the teachers, but I, I like to blame it a lot on just, again, the systems that's in place, because maybe there are some teachers who want to teach more about it. But I don't know the pressures that they could get from the curriculum itself or, or not even hiring teachers that know history. Yeah, again, I think that's deliberate, that history is, is, is delivered. It's, it's designed in a certain way. And it's delivered, delivered, uh, delivered in a certain way. So most history classes you go to are not interactive. So like the walk that we did was interactive from start to finish. But if, if actually even walks that you do typically are not as interactive as, as mine are. I Normally <laughs> one guy talking at you for two hours, read, sometimes actually reading from a script, you know, that's it. Actually, I've seen, I've seen people do that. Oh, and that's but, very offsetting. Like when you just feel <laughs> like a, a lecture on a walk, it's, it's so, it's like back to history class. <laughs> Yeah, so um, to make it more engaging, I would say when it's when it, if you're talking about a, a, a closed room institution, make it interactive and also make it relevant. So if the kids in the class in front of you of African Caribbean descent, just you know tell their story because I mean even for even for white kids here in the UK, listen, the some of the wealth we have here is directly derived from Africa. So we have a whole bunch of gold here, but there's no gold in England. England doesn't have no gold mines to speak of. We were getting our gold from a place called the Gold Coast, now called Ghana in Africa, also from South Africa. And that gold helped to drive our economy and to pay for libraries, hostels, universities, etc. So just tell the truth. That's what that's what makes it interesting. When you just state the facts, um, especially if you do it in an interactive way, that will engage people and get them on board, I find. I agree. Um, to, to take it back to you personally for a little bit, uh, what would you say led you to the to this journey kind of like prior to the Black History Rocks? Did you envision yourself doing this? When, like when you were growing up, is this what you kind of envisioned doing? Like what was your passion then and how has it kind of changed over the years? I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was young. I wanted to fly planes with the RAF and, you know, fly tornado bombers, etc. or fighter bombers rather. But uh, to, what got me into this was, as I said, I, 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 I was I always liked history anyhow. And then because like history, I would do these walking tours, the mainstream typical ones, 
and it was always a white guy telling you a very white version of history that had no reference to black people. And I know there's been black people living here for hundreds of years, um, if not longer, actually. But I thought it was just really unfair. So that's what kind of motivated me to actually tell my own story using my own words. And that's actually why I did the book, because people would always ask me, oh, have you done a book? Have you written a book? Because you seem to know so much stuff, right? So I thought, after a while, I thought, you know, let me just sit down and write one. So now I've just done one. It's like 450 pages. It's got a whole bunch of pictures in there. And it basically tells the story of two and a half of the 15 what's we do in print form. And you can also get it on Audible. So it's available for Audible listing as well. Okay, great. That, yeah, I think that would be very interactive. You can listen as you walk and kind of yeah. uh, look around as well. Um, what's some of your, I guess, ultimate goals or next big things with like Black History Walks? Like, where do you want, where do you see it going? Like, do you see different volumes of the book or how do you see it expanding? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as the book's concerned, I mean, I've got... The, and, you know, when I wrote the book, you know, I had to kind of hold myself back. I was like thinking it's going to be like, you know, this big. And then by the time I've done it, it's like, like, like this big. Um, we, do, we use the fat print so we can e- read it easily. But I was like, I, I could not squeeze into that volume. All the information was in my head. I'm sure. So like I said, it's just two and a half. We've got 15 walks. And I don't forget we have the River Goose and Bus Tour. So that's another set of information there. So I would think that in the next, I don't know, five years, there'll be a couple more volumes of that book. I mentioned the school book I did. The school book I did is for 16 to 18-year-olds, 18 18 and that sold out its first run, had to be reprinted again, sold out again. So it's gone down really well in schools. And I found that what, what teachers told me, they told, told me that the kids are signing up for that um, uh, session at a higher rate more, and more often than for the previous section. So they had a different kind of curriculum before. This book is not now, and it talks about the black British, the British Black Panthers. It talks about the Bristol. We had a bus boycott in England, you know, in, in Bristol in 63. So we talk about the bus boycott, talks about World War II, talks about um, sound systems and Calypso and reggae. A whole bunch of stuff is in that book, which was never there before. So that's a 16 to 18 year old book. And I'm thinking, why not do a book that is aimed at maybe say eight to 10 year olds? Oh, for and sure. And then how about doing like a, a university degree kind of book? So you cover all the kind of, um, um, levels of education so that's what i think I'd, I'd be doing in the next five years or so i think that that would be great and on part i would i know there are plenty of documentaries out there but i would love to even see a, a documentary of you starting it. i think as you keep going throughout the years you could have some some just clips and stuff uh from some of the walks or just from some of the talks in general how it's progressing because uh, again like i said the, the biggest part for me was like being able to engage with the other people on the tour is what made it more special hearing their personal stories and hearing you yeah. know how it relates, especially with us coming from the U.S. Right. and then being in the U.K., just knowing that, OK, this is like a global uh, issue. Yeah, people really like that comparison because when I talk here about the law, we had a law called the Sus Law. And the Sus Law meant that if you're, if you're black, police could stop and search you and arrest you on suspicion that you might commit a crime in the future. So if they're suspected that you might commit a crime in the future, they could arrest you and beat you up and charge you and send you prison and that that was that was the law until about 1984 when it kind of got scrapped so the law was scrapped in 84 but the behavior carried on until even recently you could see it if you want to argue the point that you certainly have a point that because you find that black people get stopped something like three times more than white people for doing the same thing or for no reason at all right so yeah i mean um the comparisons actually you see in the book now I did a comparison of UK to US civil rights. So I've got like, it's the 
fast chapter because I'd heard it so often from the people in front of me that, you know, they knew more about U.S. history. So I thought, you know what, let me just compare the two now. So you can see a timeline going back to 1945 to 2020, looking at what happened in America, what happened in the U.K. with regard to civil rights, human rights, etc. And also there's a comparison to like Kenya, Australia, Brazil, and a few other places, just to give you an idea as to how similar these stories are wherever you are in the world. Yeah, and I just feel like it all relates too, because going through history, that just brings generational trauma and creates more of the system and just keeps the system going. Uh, Like you said, when you're tapping Africa's resources and not putting the money back into Africa, now you have all these different places looking impoverished. And again, that generational trauma just keeps trickling down and just it it makes the staircase harder for for us to try and get on the same playing field as as other people who aren't uh, a part of, you know, being black and from Africa. Uh, to transition a little bit, what piece of advice personally would you give your 18 year old self? Like what would you, uh, what advice would you give yourself back then? Stop chasing those good looking girls because they're not going to do you no good, man. Just behave your little self and just try and do your study and not run around, right? I'd say that. I'd also say, what else? I, would, I think I'll go on a public speaking course because I was really shy at that age. I didn't, I didn't like talking at all. Far less doing interviews and doing lectures and stuff. So I probably said, probably said, get myself on some sort of acting course or public speaking or something like that to kind of develop my my um, yeah my public speaking. Okay, great. Um, this is one of uh, Yogi LG's kind of favorite questions, um, and of course, it's subjective to you. Do you feel like you are maximizing your potential? Why or why not? Do I feel like I'm maximizing my potential? Uh, no, I tell you what, I'm, I'm a couple of stone overweight and I should be two stone lighter. So to maximize the potential, I should be, I should be muscular like that guy, Michael J. White. I should be like all fit <laughs> up here, right? So I have to kind of get on that train and work out and get fit and muscular and all that bit so I can be like a, a dude. So yeah, that's my improvement. Okay, great. Um, let's see. Uh, we kind of breeze through a lot of these. Um, do you feel there's a sense of community or togetherness in the African British community? And I know that's subjective as well. It probably depends on certain areas, but I know across the States, uh, we don't like our black culture in America is very, uh, strong in the sense that a lot of black families, we do a lot of dissimilar type things, but I wouldn't say we have a strong sense of togetherness and union, uh, compared to some of the other races. How do you uh, I guess, feel about that? I would say, I mean, because I've been doing the, the events for 15 years, I've seen the community develop around my events. So when it comes to walks or films or talks or whatever, there's a set of people who will come to all my stuff and they're on a certain mindset wavelength and they kind of will actually, I've actually had people get married or go out with each other, live together because of my events, right? So I have that section. Then I've got I've got kids who well, I say kids. I've got kids who came on the walks like in two thousand seven, and they're big adults now with their own children. So I've got that intergenerational kind of community. So I would say that there is um, a level of community here, in particular if you've been going for like as long as I've been going for fifteen years. You have people who have come through your events, grown up adults, you know, and they're still around. So it's actually ongoing now. I would say. Yeah, I like that. As time keeps progressing, you just keep getting more and more people that have been involved. Uh, that's great. Um, uh, to kind of close us out, one of the last questions we always like to ask is, 
what is the best compliment you could receive some, from someone for you personally? Like, what would be the best type of compliment that you can get that, that makes you, uh, I guess, feel good? Best compliment I could get? I would say... Oh, I'll tell you what happened to me one time. I went to um, I went to a school. I showed a film in the school. Showed two films, actually. One was called Rosa Parks Story with Angela Bassett. Finds it. Oh, have you seen Black Panther yet? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, sorry. I didn't get that <laughs> yes, point. I have. No, I don't okay. want to give any spoilers, but yes, I have. <laughs> Not even um, but yeah, she made a film about Rosa Parks. Um, this is like 15 years ago or so, so I showed that film. And I also showed a film called Kirikuna Source. It's a little... It's a, a little African cartoon set in Africa. It's a beautiful film, right? And I remember I showed it in a majority black school up in uh, North London. And I then met a girl, a woman, sorry, who was was actually at the school when I showed the film back in 2003, where it was. And she was like an engineer. She said, when you came and showed those films, it was in the best times of my life. And when you left, right? In the playground, we normally be fighting with each, fight with each, fighting with each other. But after you showed us films, we were just like hugging each other. Up. I was like, "What?" That that was like blew my mind. That she it, she stuck in her mind all the fifteen years when I was down there, and that the impact of me showing those films had all the kids in the, the playground just like loving each other up and being happy to be black. I was like, "What?" That was deep, man. Yeah, I can't imagine getting a compliment like that. What was is that film available? Like, what was the name of that film? Um. So the Angela Bassett film is called. It's the Rosa Parks story. That's what it's called. It's called the. Rosa oh, okay. Park. Yeah, yeah. I think I've, I think I've heard it. I don't know if I've seen it, but. And then the other film is called Kiriku. Uh, oh, Kiriku and the Sorcerer. So it's K I R I, Kiriku K O U, and it's a it's a French film with subtitles, but it's a beautiful story set in in West Africa, French West Africa, of this little boy who has to overcome these kind of challenges um in this uh in this village society to kind of. Um, well, learn his history in effect. Beautiful film, Kirikun Sorceress. That sounds great. I definitely will check those out again because I definitely have found that some films I watched when I was little, when I watch them as an adult, it hits completely different. I definitely want to steal one of your bars from the Black History Walk that we did when you mentioned Black Panther and we went to the, uh, I think, past the museum and the Museum yeah, of yeah. Stolen Goods. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> definitely stuck with me. I'll always remember that. Um, uh, do you have anything else you'd like to share? I just definitely want to say I'm, I'm grateful for your time, uh, which, of course, is your most valuable resource. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for you spending that time with me today and answering some questions and, and being a guest on the podcast. I would just say check out the website. It's, it's blackhistorywalks.co.uk, just blackhistorywalks.co.uk. And we do some stuff online, too. So you got, okay. if you're in America, you can still log into our stuff online. Um, check out the book, Audible or Print. It's on the website. Um, and just, yeah check us out we'll definitely uh we put these on youtube so we'll definitely have the links below to his website and to his book on uh amazon and the audible version we'll uh, put those there um he definitely has his email there if you'd like to reach out so again tony thank you for your time which again is your most valuable resource and asset we really appreciate it <laughs> <Wakanda forever>. <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate it thanks tony all right, man, I'm gone. See you later, man. If you don't do anything else, uh, protect your peace and protect your energy. This is the Zen Trap Podcast. We're out.